You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. I love this movie. It's my favorite movie. And uh, uh, this past week, I finally got my daughters to sit down with Nicole and I and watch it again from beginning to end. I mean, it was just great. And this, you know, I have several copies of it, which, by the way, I'm going to be giving away some copies of It's a Wonderful Life, one today and one next week. But uh, just recently, I got a Blu-ray version of it, and uh, I saw the colorized for the first time uh, in Blu-ray this past week. It was like a brand new movie. It was like, I love that movie, and I love the themes of it. I'm excited about this series because inspired by some of the themes in the movie, we're going to talk about how God works and moves in our life. And in the movie, there was a guy named George Bailey, and he's given a, a chance to see the value of his own life, uh, the greatest gift of all, uh, life. And now, here's the scenario. George Bailey is a guy who, who for his whole life, tried to get out of this small little town. And uh, he just, one thing after another kept him there. One thing after another kept him there. One thing after another. He uh, became, uh, he took over the, the, the uh, Bailey Building and Loan Building, uh, a loan organization that helps the community get houses. And he took it over and he was, he just could not wait to get out of that town. But one thing after another kept him there. Uh, it got to the point where uh, something tragic had happened in the business. Uh, he was losing his mind, feeling trapped in that town. Uh, he had a wife and kids, loved them, but all of a sudden there was a, a financial problem in the organization. Uh, his uncle, who helps manage the, the company, lost a large amount of money, and the police were coming after George Bailey. And George Bailey's life was falling apart rapidly. He was looking at time in prison. He was looking at, at uh, scandal, and his, his family left destitute, and his children uh, left destitute. He was, uh, he was worried, he was concerned, and he was facing a lot of shame. And, and so he went to his arch enemy in the movie, a guy named Mr. Potty, uh, Potty, Mr. Potter. And uh, Mr. Potter basically uh, told him, you know, good riddance, you know, I'm, I'm going to call the cops on you. In fact, here's the scene right at the end where he talks to Mr. Potter. And what follows is a prayer. Today, we're going to talk about prayer, and this is uh, the clip that's going to kick it off with us today. You are going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you but a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. (laughs) You're worth more dead than alive. Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so much and ask them to let you have 8,000? You know why? Because they'd run you out of town on a rail. But I tell you what I'm going to do for you, George, since the uh, state examiner is still here. As a stockholder of the building and loan, I'm going to swear out a warrant for your arrest. Misappropriation of funds, manipulation, malfeasance. All right, George, go ahead. You can't hide in a little town like this. (laughs) Bill, this is Potter. Show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I... 
so much, my friend. Please go home, Mr. Bailey. This is Christmas Eve. Bailey? Which Bailey? This Mr. George Bailey. The next time you talk to my wife like that, you'll get worse. She cried for an hour. It isn't enough she's slave teaching you stupid kids how to read and write. You have to ball her out, eh? Get out of here, Mr. Welsh. Now, wait a minute. I want to pay for my drink. Never mind your money. You get out of here, quick. You're my best friend. Get out. You all right, George? Who's that? He gone. No worry. His name is Welsh. He don't come into my place no more. Oh, wow. That's what I get for praying. The last time you come in here, you hear that, Nick? Where's my insurance policy? No, no, please, don't go this way, Mr. Oh, Bailey. Oh. No, no, you no feels good. Sit down and rest. Oh. Please, no, go away, please. All right, what happens next... Uh, you know, that line he prays, God, show me the way. And then after he gets punched, he's, you know, that's what you get for praying. Have you ever felt like that? You know, you pray and just the opposite happens. You pray and it seems like what you prayed for doesn't just not happen, but everything falls apart following the prayer. Uh, in the movie, George Bailey, he gets into his truck and he realizes he thinks or he thinks that maybe the only solution is to kill himself. He's got that insurance policy and he's worth more dead than alive, Mr. Potter told him, and it starts getting in his mind. And so he uh, stumbles to a bridge and he thinks that the only answer is to throw himself into the frigid waters over the bridge. And at that moment, God steps in. And uh, you can check it out. We'll talk about it later. But I want to talk about this whole idea of prayer. This idea of, of can we pray and see things happen? Can we pray and, and, and know and expect and believe that God actually hears our prayer? Now, that movie begins with prayer. In that very first few moments, it, it begins with George being lost and nobody being able to find him. And, the, and, it, and it has people praying all over town. You know, help my friend George Bailey. Help George. He's done nothing but help everybody. And you've got his wife praying, and then you hear his kids, Dear God, please help Daddy. You know, and there's all these, these prayers. These prayer. The movie is about prayer and the answer to prayer. But we have to ask ourselves, does prayer really work that way? Does prayer really work that way? Does God hear our prayers? Does he respond to our prayers? Does prayer change our situation? The answer is yes. And no. Prayer, by the way, is mentioned over 800 times in the Bible, not including the verses that say, call me and talk to me uh, by God, or he said in moments of uh, contemplation. It's the number one talk topic of the Bible is talked about more than anything else, and that is the number one is talking to God. Prayer, yet it's often uh, misunderstood and it's ignored, it's avoided, and it's neglected. And before we, before we even start talking about prayer, I want us to do something. I want us to pray. So here's what I want us to do. I want you, I want me, I want us just to take three minutes to pray. You say, I don't know what to pray about. I don't know what to pray for. Well, depending on where you are and your walk with God, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Now, let's just pray, and then we're going to talk about that experience this morning, okay? So uh, let's pray right now.
how difficult was that? For some of you, uh, <clears throat> it, was, it was interesting, I'm sure. Of all the things that God has called us to do, and the number one thing that God has called us to do, it's, it's the most difficult. It can be the most challenging. It can be the most confusing. And there is just so much wrapped in it, doubtful distraction. We wonder if it really works. Show of hands, okay? Now, <clears throat> be honest. Just show of hands. Just in those last few minutes that we prayed, how many of you felt this way? How many of you felt uh, a little awkward praying the last few minutes? Anybody? That was kind of awkward, okay? The silence, all right? How many of you feel like it was, it was hard to be still? Anybody? Several hands, hard to be still. How many felt like it was hard to stay awake? You just want to want a nap? <laughs> it's early in the morning. Who knows what you did Saturday night? Probably didn't go to bed early enough. All right. Uh, how many felt it was maybe a little overwhelming? It's like, whoa, man, I like thrown right into that place of prayer. Didn't know what to say. How many felt like it was hard to stay focused? Maybe you're you're racing about food, lunch, breakfast, the air conditioning. You know, just your mind was just was going everywhere. Um, some of you just can't, maybe, maybe, maybe this is, maybe sometimes you feel like it's futile. What's the point? And like, you know, I'm not sure why we're even doing this. What point, what's the matter? I mean, what matter does it make? Uh, he already knows everything. How, how many of you ever felt maybe that when you pray that you just, you don't want to bother God? Anybody ever felt like that? Okay. How many of you ever feel like, uh, you know, you feel like you're trying but you don't feel like God is listening. Anybody ever feel like that? You just, you just feel like, you know what? How many of you feel like, you know, I, I don't know what to say? You know, like that? Just know what to say. Don't know how to say it. Um, <laughs> how many of you just felt like it was a little weird? Okay. Because I, I, you know, to, to people that don't pray very often, which sadly, Christians hardly pray, unfortunately. We're going to talk about that privilege that we have to pray and, and how we don't pray. But there's a lot of people who, who not only do they feel like it's weird to pray, but they, they, just, they just don't see, they, they're not even sure if God is even there. So they feel like when they pray that, they, that they're just kind of talking to themselves and that they're kind of being kind of this religious weird person um, because you don't even know God's there. So I have a question for you. What we're going to do, we're going to dive in. We're going to talk about prayer. And now we're going to look at a lot of verses, and I'm going to go really fast because I want to make sure we can get as much of this in as possible. Today, we're going to talk about prayer. Next week, we're not talking about prayer. We're going to talk about something else. Each week, we're going to look at something, that, uh, that uh, an idea that comes out. Of the, like one week, we're going to look at uh, what if Jesus had never been born. We're going to look at that one week. This week, we're going to give you a primer on prayer. Does prayer matter. Do prayers get answered? And here's the answer. Yes. Do prayers get answered? Here's a couple examples. In Genesis 20, Abraham prayed for healing and he was healed. In Genesis 25, Isaac prayed for his wife to become pregnant and she became pregnant. All through the book of Judges, the people constantly were falling on their knees and praying in God and they were asking God to forgive them of their sins, to protect them and to turn them around and to give them victory. And God answered their prayers and delivered them time and again. In Ezra, God answered the prayer of Ezra for protection and guidance. Uh, in 1 Samuel, Hannah got on her knees and she asked God to make her pregnant and she became pregnant. In 1 Chronicles 4, Jabez asked that God would expand his influence and God answered his prayer and made him a powerfully influential person. In 2 Kings 6, Elijah asked for healing and God answered. In Psalm 32, David prayed and asked for forgiveness and God forgave him. In Acts chapter 9, Peter got on his knees for a dead woman and the woman came to life. And in Acts 28, Paul prayed for a man to receive healing and the man was healed. Now, we say this again and again, prayer and God's actions in our life are inanely related. They are, they are intimately, they are, they are interwoven together. Now, Jeremiah 32, 2 says, this is what the Lord says, he who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name, Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. 
Jeremiah was speaking, uh, and he was uh, receiving a prophetic word from God, and God was saying, call to me, and I will answer, pray, and I will answer throughout the Bible, healing, safety, pregnancy, open doors, opportunities, guidance, financial provision. God answers prayers. In James 5, uh, beginning with 13, it says this, if anyone is among you in trouble, let them pray. If anyone is happy, let them sing songs of praise. If anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray for them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the person well. And the Lord will raise him up. And if they sin, they will be forgiven. Now, these are honest and and just kind of consistent answers to prayer all throughout the Bible. But not every prayer is answered. If there is power in prayer, and if God says to call and I will answer, then why are some prayers, it seems, not answered? Sometimes we pray for healing, and that family member still dies, or doesn't get healed, or doesn't get out of that bed, doesn't get out of that chair. Sometimes we pray for a job, and sometimes we remain without a job, or we are stuck in a job and we don't get that promotion. It was given to somebody else. Or we pray and that relationship never is healed. That marriage is never restored. And you're still single. And you're wondering, God, do you answer prayers? You pray and nothing happens. Why is that? James 4, 2 says this. It says, you do not have because you do not ask God. But he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, there is a right way and there's a wrong way to pray. A lot of times we don't have things. We don't see, not, I'm, talking not, I'm not talking about possessions. We don't see God working in our life because we're not asking him to work in our life. And sometimes when we ask God, we still don't receive because it's not in God's plan for us to have that. So what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes is I want to tell you how to pray the way that God uses prayer, the way that the Bible uses prayer, okay? And very simple, I have four things in, in the ways that when we pray, if we pray this way, we have confidence. And the first one is this, we must pray in Jesus' name. Now, and I'm not talking about when we pray and Father, I just pray that uh, I could get that car, God. You know, I, you know, I've got AC, but that one's got dual AC controls, God. And that's the one that I really need in Jesus' name. <laughs> you know, <laughs> somehow we treat Jesus' name as just some, some magical uh, tag to a request, you know. God, I want to pray. I want to fly. I want to, God, I'm going to jump off this building and fly. In Jesus' name. And you jump and you're, you're not going to fly. And, but we think somehow if it's a reasonable prayer, that if we tag on in Jesus' name, that somehow God has to do it. Like we're holding them hostage. Yeah, I said, Jesus' name. God, I said in Jesus' name, you have to do it. And we think that it means some sort of incantation to kind of get God to do what we want. John 14, 13 says this, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And John 16, 24, he says, now, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. He goes, but now I'm telling you, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. To pray in Jesus' name is not a magic formula, it means that you are walking in relationship with Jesus. It means that when we pray in Jesus' name, we're walking in this relationship with Jesus that is unique and special, and we're surrendering what we're asking for and about to the will of Jesus himself. The only way to connect with God, the only way to know God even hears your prayers and responds to them. He hears them all, but he doesn't respond to them all. 
How you can know and have confidence is through Jesus. John 14, 6, he is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. John 10, 9, I am the guide. I am the door. The only way is through me, said Jesus. Ephesians 2, 18 says, through Jesus, we have access to the Father. Acts 4, 12, that salvation or prayers, answered, answered prayers are found in no other name except Jesus himself. Hebrews 4.14 says it this way, and I love this. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Okay, he's talking about those that are born again, those that know Christ, have bowed the knee to Christ, are walking in relationship with Jesus. He says, let us then, those of us who press, profess this faith, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, in relationship with Christ, we can have confidence that our prayers are being responded to, okay? Let me put it this way. If, if you decided to go to the White House, I mean, if you were to get on a plane and you were to fly to Ronald Reagan Airport and you were to take a cab to the White House and you were to get out of that cab and you were to wait in line and uh, join one of the tours and make your way into the White House, if during the course of that couple hours in the White House, you got hungry and you decided, I'm going to make me a sandwich, and you took a right down the hall, down the East Wing, and you made your way to the kitchen and you began to open up the refrigerator and pull out the bread and look for the knives so that you could spread some delicious mayo on your ham and cheese sandwich, you were, what would he, what do you think would happen? Anybody? (laughs) Do what? (laughs) Yes, you would be apprehended by secret service. You would be arrested. Why would you be arrested? Because it's not your house. However, let me just say this. If your name was Natasha or Malaya, Malaya, uh, if you were one of those two girls, you could walk right into the kitchen anytime you wanted. You could open up the fridge. You could get some cookies. You could bake some bread. You could pop the top on a soda. Why? Because you're part of the Obama family. And if you are family, you have access to places in the White House that nobody else has. Guys, when you are in the family of God, you have access to God like nobody else has. When you pray and you are in the family, when you pray and you are in relationship with God, when you are a child of God through Christ, you have access that others do not have. Hebrews goes on to say in 10, he says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. And when we pray, when we know that we are in relationship with Jesus, we can have confidence and assurance that every time we pray, we go right to the very throne of God. We have that confidence that our faith brings. If you are family, you have access, others don't. But if you pray outside of that relationship, God responds completely different. Even the Lord's Prayer begins with this. The disciples said, Jesus, how do we pray? And Jesus said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. That word father is a declaration of relationship. And immediately in the Lord's prayer, the very first thing it asks, it asks, are you family? Jesus said, uh, John wrote in John 1, 12, John said, he says, to all who receive him and trust in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Only through Jesus can you call him father? So when we pray our father, the question is, are you family? Are you his child? 
and we're only his child through Christ. So when we pray in Jesus' name, it means we have a relationship. So question number one, when you pray, are you in relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Number two, you need to pray with a clean conscience. You need to pray with a clean conscience. This is what James 5, 16 says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Guys, listen. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We are not righteous on our actions. We are not righteous based on our ability to do good. We are righteous through Jesus Christ. And when Christ cleanses, when we confess our sins, we are made righteous in him. Guys, some of you, you feel like you're hitting a wall when you pray because you have sin in your life. You have a habit that you refuse to to address. You have uh, relationships that are unhealthy and you are uh, involved yourself in things that, that are clearly outside of God's plan for you. And as a result, when you pray, they're not effective and they're not powerful. You should confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. Confess them to God for forgiveness. We confess them to each other for accountability and for healing. I tell you, when you confess the sin to a friend, you're less likely to repeat that sin. And then he says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Unconfessed sin can hinder our ability to connect with God. James 4, 6 says this. Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, O sinners. That means repent of your sins. That means confess your sins and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. That means it's time to get serious about the sin that is chaining you down. You've said yes to Christ and you're trying to live for him, but you're allowing things in your life that are pulling you apart and pulling you down. James says it's time to confess those sins, to own up to those sins, to grieve over those sins, and humble yourselves before the Lord. And then it says this, and he will lift you up. See, some of you, the answer to your prayer problem is you have sin. I tell you, when there's sin in your life, you don't want to pray. You're not motivated to pray. You're grieving the spirit inside of you if you are a Christian. And as a result, your, your, your flesh says no. It's time to turn that morning I mean, that laughter in the morning, sin can be defined as living outside of God's will for your life. And that's a big umbrella of actions and habits. Psalm 66 says this, 18, it says, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Isaiah 59, 2 says, It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen. That means he will not respond. See, this includes our relationships. This includes, if you have a relationship that's, that's, that's in a bad place, if you have anger towards someone, if you have unforgiveness towards someone, Jesus said this in Mark 11, he says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. Unforgiveness affects our ability to connect with God. Unforgiveness, according to Scripture, is a sin. We are created for relationships, and our horizontal affects our vertical, and our vertical should affect our horizontal. And if your horizontal is not well, you're going to struggle with your vertical. If you struggle with hatred and unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone, even if it's someone you don't even know, someone that just hurt you, someone that bothered you, and you're just angry. If you have this horizontal problem, then your vertical will have a problem. God says, man, Jesus says, if you're praying and you have a problem with someone, you need to just leave the altar and go get it right and then come back. 
That's how serious Jesus takes it. And this includes our relationships at home. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, that when you mistreat your wives, it hinders your prayers. In Malachi chapter 2, he says, Husbands, I'm not answering your prayers because of the way you treat your wives. So some of you men, you're like, man, I just don't feel like I'm praying. I just don't feel like I'm just hitting a wall. I'm feeling a breakthrough at work. And you know what? How are you at home with your wife and with your kids? And this flips the other way too. Wives, the same thing. Our relationship with our spouse affects our relationship with God. And it also affects our generosity, the way that we live our life. It says this in Proverbs 21, 13, it says, Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor, I will also, they will cry out and I will not answer them or their prayers will not be answered. Guys, listen, if you are a selfish person, don't expect God to respond to you. If you are a generous person, you can, you can have confidence that God is working on your behalf. If we shut our, our ears to the cries of the poor, Proverbs says that God will not listen to our cries when we have times of need. Our relationships with people, the sin in our life. How do we respond to this? What do we do? Easy, we do it. David said in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, he says, search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm thinking of that George Bailey prayer. God, show me the way. Show me the way. You know, we need to get to that place where we are broken and we're not taking lightly the sin in our life because it affects our ability to connect with God and it affects our prayer life. And there's nothing more important in this world than your ability to connect and pray and talk with God. So first thing, you need to pray in the name of Jesus. Second thing, you need to pray with a clear conscience. Third thing is you need to pray in faith. You need to pray in faith. Now, now this idea has been abused, has been twisted, and has been turned into blab it and grab it, claim it, name it, you know, gain it, that sort of thing, that if you that if you confess it, you will possess it, that sort of thing. There's a lot of churches that preach, if you just, you know, if you just, man, if you just put your name on that car and you put it on that mirror and you just confess it, that it's going to happen. This is not what the prayer of faith means, okay? This is what it means. Let's read it. In Matthew 21, 21, Jesus says, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and it will be done. And in a later place, Jesus says, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, that means if you just have just a little faith in me, Jesus says, you can see mountains move. Guys, listen, faith is not in faith. Faith is not in the possibility. Faith is not in this magical idea that if we just stay positive, good things will happen. Faith in the Bible is a reliance and trust in God. Not a car, not a house, not a job, not a situation, not a person. Faith in God. It's the ability to trust not only that God can do something, that God will do something. That it's in God. Faith in God. See, faith has been so twisted in some churches to be some sort of force, some sort of magical incantation, that it's some sort of just thing. If we just have faith, if we just have it, then, then things will happen. Faith is a reliance on God, on Jesus Christ and his power and ability to do things he goes on to say, Peter walking on water. I love this illustration. You guys know the story. Jesus is walking on water and he says, yeah, Peter, come on out here, man. And, and Peter's like, if it, 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 call me and so that I can walk. He says, come on. So Peter gets out on the water and Peter is walking on the water. I was like, well, who walked on water? Well, Jesus did. Peter did too. Peter was walking on water. And then when he got concerned about the waves and the storm, the cares of of his environment, he began to sink. But Jesus pulled him back up and the two of them, arm in arm, walked back to 
the boat. Guys, faith is not the absence of fear. Because I can imagine that Peter, when he got out of the boat, he was scared. A storm, he's going to drown. The idea of this concept of walking on water, I mean, just the... Just the concept, just the, just the notion that it's possible for any person here in this room to walk on water sounds ludicrous. It sounds insane. Just the, th- just the idea that, that I or you could walk on water. So here's Peter. He's no different than I. He's a struggling believer. He's a follower of Christ. He's not yet an apostle. He's just a disciple, and he, just like us. And he steps out, and he starts walking. The fear is there. Faith is not the absence of fear. Fear is this, getting out of the boat. Fear is moving. God, I trust, and I believe that not only you can, but that you will. So if you want to know what faith is, faith is moving. Faith is stepping. Faith is getting out. Out. James 1 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. See, that's where Peter started sinking is when he saw and focused his eyes on the waves. He says, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is a double-minded man or a double-minded person and unstable in all they do. Some translations say and unstable in all their ways. Guys, some of you, you're like, I'm, I'm with God. I'm, I don't know about God. I, I, I believe God can do this. I, I don't think God can do this. I, I hope God can do this. I don't know. I don't think, you know, God doesn't care about me. You know, I, I'm saved. I'm not saved. I, he wants to touch my family. I don't know if my family didn't have any a chance. You know, uh, finances, I, I'll always be poor. I, I don't think God can do it. I believe God can do it. We're like all over the place. James says, stop being un, uh, unstable. Stop being double-minded. You're not going to have uh, strength and stability. and con- You can't. He says, don't expect your prayers to be responded to if you're unstable and double-minded in your faith with God. We pray in faith. Does that guarantee that our prayers are answered? No. Even when we pray in faith. James 4, back to that. It says in verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive, though they're praying in faith. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Which leads us to number four. We need to not only pray in Jesus' name, we need to not only pray with a clear conscience, not only do we need to pray in faith, but number four, we need to pray according to God's will. You pray according to God's will. First John five fourteen says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him if we pray according to his will. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your demands to God. It doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say, submit your, your by faith demands, God, I claim this. It doesn't say that. It says, present your requests to God. We bring requests. We submit them to the will of God. And then we let God take the rest. Even the Lord's Prayer says, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Matthew 7, 7 through 12 is all about how God, if we ask him for things, he will not abuse our requests and hurt us. He's a good, good father. He loves us. He will take care. He's a loving father. If we ask for a fish, he won't give us a snake. If we ask for bread, he won't give us a stone. That's the story that Jesus gives. He's a good father. If our earthly father is, is good in any way, how much more will our heavenly father, when we present requests to him, how much more will he lovingly take Take care of us according to his will, according to his plan. He's a good father. And when we don't get what we want, when we don't get the answer that we had 
hope for. And when things don't turn out the way that we were praying, we need to believe that he is a good father. And he will take care of us in spite of how our situation works out. When we submit our will to his will, our perspective changes and we pray differently. James 4 says, submit yourself to God, humble yourself, and he will lift you up. Psalm 37 says, delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's not praying he will give you the desires of your heart. It's delight yourself in the Lord. Get on your face, humble yourself before him, get your life aligned with his will, delight yourself in the Lord. Our motivations, our desires, our perspectives change, and all of a sudden we find that God begins to work and move in our life in ways we never expected when we do that. The purpose of prayer is not to get God to do something for you or to get God to fit his power into your will. The purpose of prayer is to discover the will of God in every situation of your life. The purpose of prayer is for us to find, God, what do you want for me concerning work, concerning my family, concerning uh, this situation, concerning this relationship. I love how C.S. Lewis said it when he comes to prayer. He said, God has retained the discretionary power of granting or refusing our prayers unless prayer would destroy us. Well, I, you might be thinking, well, I have confessed my sin. I know I'm in relationship with Jesus. I know what I'm praying is the will of God, but still nothing, still nothing. Why even pray at all? You want to know? You want to know the number one reason why prayers go unanswered? Are you ready? You can write this down. It's not in your notes. The number one reason prayers go unanswered. I don't know. You can write that down, put my name next to it, put a dash, put it on a mug, make a t-shirt out of it. The number one reason prayers go unanswered, I I don't know. Here's what we do know. God is sovereign. Sovereign means he's always in control. He never hits his head and go, I can't believe you lost your job, man. He didn't go, oh, man, that's a bad report from the doctor. Man, I, I was so busy over here, I didn't see what was going on. God's never shocked or surprised. Sovereign is a, is a biblical doctrine that means that God is always, always, always in control. God does all things as he wills, not ours, irrespective of our prayers. Believe that. He governs the universe. By the way, any, anybody here keep the moons of Saturn rotating? Anybody here? Anybody here? Yeah, I didn't think so. He governs the universe. If our prayers are hit and miss, and God does what he wants anyway, then why should we pray at all? Good question. Let's close in prayer. I'm going to end with these couple thoughts. Why pray if God's sovereign? Why pray if God is sovereign? Here's the number one reason. Because Jesus prayed. Because Jesus prayed. Like baptism, he didn't need it, but he knew we needed it. And he prayed to show us how to pray and why to pray and how often to pray. And if Jesus prayed, we are to pray. Number two reason why we pray to a God that is sovereign and does what he wants regardless, irrespective of our prayers. Here's the miracle of prayer is that when we pray, God moves. And when we don't pray, God moves. Okay. When we pray, things happen. And when we don't pray, things happen. All right. So why pray? When we pray, it appears that those prayers are answered sometimes. And when we pray, it appears some things are not answered. Why is that? Why pray if God is sovereign? Number two reason is because God invites us to ask us what we need. God invites us to ask for what we need. We are to bring our petitions and our requests to God. We are commanded to pray. I've got some verses in your notes and on the screen. We are commanded to pray. And In fact, not praying is a sin. In 1 Samuel 12, Samuel says, As for me, I believe I think this was David. As for me, 
far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Did you know God commands us to pray and that not praying can be a sin? That's why we should pray. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Some of you guys are so worried about your marriage, about your family, about Christmas. Here it is Christmas. You're like, man, we're, we're, we're like two weeks out, you know. Today's the sixth. We're like looking at 19 days of Christmas. And you're like, man, I don't have any money for, for gifts. I've got to pay the bills. I'm expected to get gifts for family. We don't even have a tree up yet. My kids want lights. I don't have time to put up lights. You know, I just saw someone on Facebook. They said, Merry Christmas to me. I got let go yesterday. So, hey, you know, it's the great, <laughs> it's the happiest season of all. And you know, God, I, I, I'm anxious. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, petition means is, you know, like, you know how you make a petition. Let's all gather around and make a petition and ask for this. By prayer and petition, we are gathering together. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we do this with a thankfulness and gratitude for what God's doing in our life and giving to us. We then present our requests to God. We bring requests, not demands. But here's what happens. And what happens, we give God our anxiety, and he gives us the peace of God, which transcends all understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why does peace follow? Here's why peace follows. Because when we acknowledge that God is God and we are not, then we believe that prayer matters. When we understand that God is sovereign and in control, when we, re- when we bring our pain, our suffering, our requests, our trials, our prayer, when we bring them to God and we know that God is good and God is in charge, then when we bring it, we can let it go and go, ah, thank you for the peace of God because dad's got it all figured out. Thank you, God, that I can bring my prayers, my anxieties, my requests. I can, I can just lay them at your feet and I know, God, you're going to give me peace that surpasses understanding. Why does it surpass understanding? Because your situation may not change, but the peace of God remains. And people go, what? If I were you, I'd be so stressed out. If I were you, I'd be so angry. If I were you, I don't know why I'd even go to church. I don't even know how could you praise God. Well, that's the peace of God. I've given it to God already. And it's all hands off from me. And he's, he's a good father. He's a good, good father. And, and, and I'm in relationship with him. And he's got my best interest in mind. So no matter what happens, I got the peace of God. And it's guarding my heart. It's guarding my mind. Because I have given this to God. He knows all about you. He knows the details of your life. He knows all 7 billion people on earth, their names, their pains, their struggles, and their freckles. We don't pray to give God information. He knew our need before we bowed our head. God knew before we asked him. Matthew 6 eight says, your father knows what you need before you ask. Psalm 147.4 says he knows the location of every star in the universe. He has perfect knowledge that's too great for us. Psalm 139.1-3 says he knows our thoughts, our needs, our actions, our struggles. He knows everything. Nothing you do or say surprises God. He knows our secret thoughts, our hidden motives, our unspoken dreams. He knows what we're going to say before we even open up our mouth. And he knows what you're dealing with right now. And I find this very liberating for my prayer life. Because it means I don't have to shout. I don't have to haggle. I don't have to try to make him understand. I don't have to go into a long explanation. I don't have to give some sort of prayer formula. I don't have to keep repeating myself or beg. Because he knew the message before I ever sent it. But but then he still says, send the message. Comes down to this. God knows what we really need. We don't. You see, our perspective is limited to our experiences, our desires, and our knowledge. That is why we should pray, God, your will, your will be done. Prayer is a privilege. It is an honor. God lets us pray. God lets us come to him. He invites us to come and sit down at his table. Why do we pray to a God that is sovereign? 
because he invites us to tell him what we need. Here's the third thing. We're going to close with this idea is this. Is it why should we pray to a God that's sovereign? Because it expresses our total dependence on God. It expresses our total, God doesn't need our prayers. We pray not for his good, but for ours. True prayer gets our eyes off ourselves and onto the king of kings. When we pray, we know all our needs are knit and our God is good. If you read through the prayer, if you did like a word study on the prayers of Acts, you're going to find that almost every prayer in Acts has a kind of a, a way that they prayed. They prayed, first of all, by saying, God, you're awesome, you're great, you're sovereign, you're in control, you are divine, you are holy, you are righteous, you are in charge. God, we pray for strength. And that's the formula, if there was a quote-unquote formula for the New Testament prayers, all of their prayers were acknowledge, acknowledgement of total dependence on God. It wasn't a God change this, fix this, do this, shut their mouth, do this, shake this up. Da, da, da. It's like, God, we just love you. Even when they were in prison, it was when they were praising God that when the chains fell off. And when they were, when they were told to be quiet or they would go back to jail, they didn't pray that God, that you would change the authority in the government, that you would change the local authority or that you would put, you know, some favor upon the authorities of Christians. You know, the Christians would have a favor. No, they just prayed, God, you're in charge, you're in control. Help us to stay bold despite of our persecution. And you know what God did? He changed the world through them. They saw signs and wonders and miracles. And you know what? God doesn't always shake the chains off. Because you have Peter who prayed and the doors opened up and he walked out. But just a chapter before James the apostle, he prayed and his head was cut off. God doesn't always answer our prayers the same way. His plan, his will is what we are subject to. But he is good and that's good enough for me. We see again and again, God's sovereign hand over, over the prayers of man and his sovereign hand often works through the prayers of the saints for his glory. Why? To teach us to rely on him. In prayer, we, we acknowledge that our plans, all our efforts, our agendas, our dreams are his. Here's the way I like to think about it. When, I, when my kids were smaller, some of you guys have kids. Some of you guys were never kids. I don't know how you even got here. You're just like, I can't, some of you, I can't even imagine you being a kid. You're like, just like, you're just not a kid. So uh, hopefully you find that, that childlike spirit again, some of you. All right. So, but I remember when I, we sort of drag around our kids and we're like, we were, you know, we're in ministry. So we're like on the go all the time. We're dragging them to parties, dragging them to the hospital, dragging them to events, grabbing them to receptions. And, you know, because we're on staff and we're the, we're the pastors and we were youth pastors and now we're senior pastors, we were like, man, everybody was inviting us. So we were like bouncing all over. And, uh, you know, we'd take them to the grocery store. We'd take them to this. And, uh, you know, we, we knew where we were going. You know, we knew uh, where the car was going. I mean, we were in charge. We, were, we knew they just were there along for the ride, right? They didn't know where they were going. And, and they, for years, they never even asked, how do we get there, right? Uh, what's the address? You know, it took years before a child even asks, what time is it, right? When a child starts thinking in time, I was like, man, that's a big transition, right? So we're just dragging them around and we're just taking places. They, they rarely ever, when they were smaller, asked where we were going. Sometimes they asked and sometimes they just waited. They trusted that mom and dad was going to make sure that they got fed, that they got home, that they got a bed, that they slept, that they got their clothes and that they would be safe. Sometimes they asked, but when they did ask, they got an answer. It wasn't always the answer they wanted, but they trusted that we would get them home and to places on time. They depended on us by faith. You know, when I think of how, you know, Jesus said, come to me like the children. He says, you got to come like, like the, come, you know, gather us the children because you got to come to me like these guys with a sense of, of faith the sense of trust, the sense of assurance. When we ask, 
our good father will respond if we have confidence in our relationship with Christ, that if we pray with, with a clear conscience and we know we're right with God, we have confidence that he hears us and responds. If we ask, he will give us an answer. He will respond. He will move in our life and for our benefit. But sometimes you just got to trust that the father is good and that he's, he's, he's driving the car and he's going to get you home. He's going to get you fed. He's going to get you, make sure you're, you have clothes on. He's going to provide for you. And I wish we could just get back to that childlike faith. We pray because he is God and we are not. Prayer may not change your situation, but prayer will always change you. As we learn to rely and depend on God. Simply, we pray because we are commanded to. And we pray sincerely, faithfully, and honestly. God always listens and will in his own way, according to his will, respond graciously. I want to end with this, with this big idea from Jesus in Matthew 7. It says, this is the heart of prayer. Jesus says, and this is, a, by the way, I like the living version of this verse because when it says, ask and pray, those are active verbs, which means keep on praying, keep on asking, and that's what the New Living has translated. So it says this, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Who will you find? Christ. You will find Jesus. This is at the heart of prayer. We seek We knock, we ask, and we will find him. We will find Jesus. That's the heart. Psalm 27a says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do seek or do I seek. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. So ask yourself, are your prayers working? We'll start here. Are you in relationship with Jesus? Now I'm going to pray, and then I want to give away this week's gift. It's a wonderful life movie to inspire you to pray. I want to pray for you. Let's, let's bow our heads. God, thank you that, that you answer prayer. Thank you, God, that our prayers matter. Thank you, prayer, that, that in your glory, uh, our requests, and in your sovereign hand, you work through our prayers for your glory. So, God, I pray that you'd help us to know this. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You know, in that clip that we saw, George Bailey prayed to God in a bar. And that was the place where God began to work in his life and brought him an answer. I tell you what, God can find you no matter where you are. You're at a church right now. You're in an AMC movie theater right now. And God can meet you here. He can meet you in your bedroom and he can meet you at work and he can even meet you in the places you shouldn't be if you'll humble yourself and turn to him will you do that right now some of you guys you prayed earlier and it was just three minutes of silence because you've never talked to God will you talk to him now go ahead and ask him Father forgive me of my doubt Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of mistreating my spouse. Forgive me, Father, for my habits that I am allowing to take over my life. God, forgive me. I need you. God, help me to find you. To find you. God, I will keep on asking, I will keep on seeking, and I will keep on knocking. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.